Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. In today's episode, we're going to discuss a few recent newsworthy items we think healthcare leaders should be considering. I'm here with Dynamic's Mindy McGrath and Ryan Hummel to talk about what's trending now. Ryan, what headlines have you been following lately? Another week of a lot of energy and action in the healthcare space from Capitol Hill. The House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Health approved seven bills, consolidated down from 14 measures through, uh, through amendments. And it's something that I think we should remind our listeners, the House Energy and Commerce doesn't sound like a group that would be focused on healthcare, but they have significant influence over healthcare policy in the United States. The members of this group work to address the healthcare challenges, working to improve access and affordability. So it's no surprise that they're pushing some bills and key provisions approved include more price transparency regulations, which is not new, some site neutral payment policies, changes for pharmacy benefit managers, PBMs, and even updates to the 340B drug discount program. Starting with the site neutral payment standpoint, a provision passed would direct Medicare to pay the providers the same amount for drugs administered in a hospital setting as it would for drugs administered in physicians' offices. And this idea of site neutral payments is something we've discussed before on this podcast. It refers to reimbursement rates for healthcare services that are based on the services provided rather than the priority of the location in which the services are rendered. And historically in the United States, there have been differences in payment rates between services provided in what they call hospital outpatient departments. And then those offered in what I've mentioned before, physicians offices or even ambulatory care centers. And this discrepancy has been the subject of a lot of debate and led to concerns about higher costs for similar services within hospital outpatient departments, which they refer to as HOPDs, and compared to other settings. So this provision changes kind of the landscape around payment neutrality. So Mindy, I'd love to hear what you think about this, because even though it changes the paradigm, it still may not really change the issue. Providers, hospital owners are not happy about this because you think about the trickle effect in terms of reimbursement for them. And I just have to think that this is something that further has an impact right on hospital finances as they start to move forward and have to contend with some of these bills that are proposed. There were also some new requirements that were reported on providers in the 340B drug discount program, Jen and Mindy. And the drug pricing program of 340B is also one of those programs that is hotly contested. And it's a federal program that has been around for some time in the United States since the early 90s. And what 340B does is it allows certain eligible healthcare organizations to actually purchase prescription drugs in an outpatient setting at significantly reduced prices. And as I mentioned, it was kind of brought out in the early 90s, 1992. These new requirements are intended to help illustrate the many ways 340B savings help safety net hospitals, which service patients in low-resource rural communities and low-income areas. And the 340B program 
as someone that's been around it for, for a while, has generated so many debates and discussions over the years. Folks against it, you can go through the whole sector discussion of healthcare. Critics argue that the program has actually expanded beyond its original intent and, and lacks adequate oversight. Health systems, to some, take advantage of this program, and it leads to unintended consequences as more of a profit center for the provider rather than direct patient benefits. And on the flip side, folks that really support 340B and understand its value or, or feel like they get the value, take the time to emphasize the program's importance of supporting those, those safety net hospitals and providers because it enables better access to affordable medications for vulnerable and low resource populations. So, you know, there's just been a lot of discussion over the years and the future of this is really at stake because I think that with any good idea, oversight is important. Ryan, you hit the nail on the head, I think, when we talk about 340B and the expansive nature of 340B. I think part of what we've seen, obviously, too, is some complexity added to an already somewhat misunderstood program. So you think about how health systems over the years have also started to partner with pharmacies to handle their 340B program. And you start to add those layers in and different sorts of stakeholders into a program like this. And I think what it comes down to is many stakeholders, whether you're a life sciences company, a health system, even the government that administers the program, right? They're lacking transparency in terms of where those funds are going to. And everybody has a position on it. So part of the effort around this bill right, is to really improve the intensity and the rigor of the reporting so that there's greater transparency about how the funds flow, where, you know, which program, whether it's Medicaid or 340B, medications are being claimed on and just providing everybody that's part of this 340B program, just greater clarity on, on the flow of those funds. So I think that speaks though to some of the, the themes that we've seen with some of these bills around transparency and, you know, another aspect of, of these bills that were introduced was around PBMs. We know the pharmacy benefit managers play a really unique role in the health system. And there has been a lot of scrutiny on the contracting relationship that occurs between life sciences companies and pharmacy benefit managers, and then likewise between PBMs, pharmacies, and health plans. So building off of some of the earlier energy this year around trying to focus more on driving transparency with PBMs, the bill that was proposed is aimed to really improve right, some of the reporting that PBMs would be required to do to employers on the prices that they pay for, for products and how those contracting decisions are made that impact placement on formulary. Transparency is really important when it comes to the PBM world, right? And analyzing the drug spending data really allows for a better evaluation of things like medication adherence, outcomes, and, and safety. And, and, I, and I know, you know, those are kind of cliche or kind of macro level results of better transparent data, but they provide valuable insights that data into the utilization cost and effectiveness of medication. So I think that there's a good reason why we're moving forward to a more 
transparent data ecosystem when it comes to this, because it enables stakeholders to make more informed decisions. It allows us all to be more clear around how negotiation on better pricing agreements happens. It calls out things like inefficiencies or fraudulent practices. And it just, it creates kind of a better, I'll use your line, money maze transparency when it comes to, to drug spending. When you look at the commonality on some of these bills, I think what we are seeing, right, is this, this focus on the practice of spread pricing. Mm -hmm. So whether we're talking about 340B, whether we're talking about PBMs, spread pricing is a business practice. It occurs in the industry. I think the key to some of these bills or the, the emphasis on some of these bills obviously is like what happens, right, when you have that kind of delta or you're recognizing the you know upside of spread pricing, where do those funds actually go? Are they being used appropriately? And I don't think anybody's necessarily accusing other sectors of misappropriating in spread pricing. But I do think because there's so much opacity around it, the hood is being lifted now through some of these proposed bills. And we'll see if they actually get passed, right? And, and how they actually show up in terms of rules and regulations on some of these reporting aspects. But I do think that's the commonality that we're seeing in, in these bills that were introduced by the help. I think it's clear from these bills that the pendulum continues to swing towards increased transparency, increased scrutiny in pricing and cost across the healthcare industry. You know, we saw recently as well, the FTC widened their probe into PBMs. So there definitely is a lot of energy. And I think all of that is maybe underpinned or exacerbated by the looming debt ceiling, right? We're recording this at the end of May. We haven't heard what is going to happen yet as we approach that that sort of June 1st cliff. But we know that the healthcare industry relies very strongly on federal funding for key programs like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. All of those will be impacted by the federal spending decisions. It's also really critical that we have market stability when it comes to healthcare. Healthcare is an industry that does well in a more stable market and the more uncertainty that is introduced can really start to, to wreak havoc on the system. Another area that is really introducing some uncertainty into the healthcare system has to do with the obesity area and the therapeutic class of GLP-1s that has been just exploding in growth in terms of pharmaceutical treatment. There was some data released from Novo Nordisk recently from their phase three clinical trials on a daily oral form of semaglutide, which resulted in an average body weight loss of about 15%, which is at parity with the other injectable forms of semaglutide that are, are already on the market, namely Ozempic for diabetes and Wagovi that has been approved for weight loss. With this new data, it's clear that Novo Nordisk is continuing to dominate the weight loss drug market, but it is on track to become increasingly crowded. We know that Novo Nordisk will soon be competing with Eli Lilly's Mountjaro as they go after a weight loss indication and other manufacturers like Pfizer and Amgen are getting in the mix, you know, working on rival treatments that could be more potent, more convenient, or, or more durable with the current class of GLP ones 
for weight loss, you have to have the injections continuously to maintain the effect. But with this data from Novo Nordisk, this would be the first safe, efficacious oral option for weight loss that would be on the market. Despite sort of like the rapid uptake, though, of the weight loss medication class for GLP-1s, though, this comes with some really high sticker prices. Mindy, could you tell us a little bit more about just like the cost this could introduce into the system? Yeah, Jen, I think this is a, a really important conversation to have when it comes to the investment or the price associated with some of these therapies. Treating the health effects of, of obesity in the United States is about $170 billion a year. And you think about the comorbidities associated with obesity and the things that come along with it. When we look at the two therapies that we mentioned, Wagovi's list price is about $1,350 a month, which really translates into about $16,000 a year at the full anti-obesity dose. You know, the same drug that's sold under the brand name Ozempic sells for a lower cost at a lower dose to treat diabetes. By contrast, right, we, we talk often about ICER and the influence that ICER is starting to have on the way that plans may think about reimbursement and payers may think about the value price of a therapy. And ISA really looks at Wagovi as totaling about $13,618 a year in terms of its price and the value that it would bring of about $7,500 to $9,800 per year. So, you know, I think about payers and the one payer that really stands out to mind to me is Medicare. And we know that Medicare is already really contending with a lot of financing issues. And now there's this class of, of drugs that is coming out to treat obesity, which I imagine that the demand is going to be extremely high for this. So when you start to think about demand and you map the price against that, it starts to become a very, very large number. And Medicare covers obesity services the one area it doesn't cover, though, are the therapies associated with it. And one of the things that we're going to have to really keep our eye on, right, is as the demand probably skyrockets for these types of therapies for obesity, how does CMS really contend with the coverage aspect? And, and to a broader extent, how do all payers start to think about what their coverage and reimbursement strategy would be? for this obesity class, which we know is continuing to grow in the United States. I just want to say, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And just like some of the provisions and bills that we talked about, there are two sides of this, right? And I think that for all the great things that these drugs can bring to the market, we talk a lot about consumerism and this idea of patient engagement and patients owning knowledge, literacy, and information. And this is an example where it could go too far, right? And we know that a lot of times healthcare spending is not a zero sum game. And this concept means that money spent in one area of healthcare will necessarily result in less money available for other areas. So the misuse or misguided use of, of these types of drugs could potentially affect other more applicable and efficacious ways to spend our healthcare dollars. So it's something we really need to keep our eye on. I think that's a really great point, Ryan. I saw a statistic recently where maybe 70% of Americans, according to the BMI scale, are overweight or obese, but just 1% of our doctors actually specialize in obesity medicine. And I wonder as 
patients are increasingly going to perhaps their primary care physicians to make some of these decisions when it comes to weight loss and weight management, you know, do we really have the right education in place, the right thinking in terms of how do we make sure that these highly efficacious drugs are being prescribed where they are most impactful and that there's full doctor and patient understanding of the long-term commitment to use. In terms of the cost impact, Mindy, I think you're right, where I've seen estimates kind of ranging from 13 to $27 billion potentially in terms of the increased cost to Medicare if just 10% of Medicare beneficiaries were to use an obesity drug like Wagovi. Right now, you know, that this class is not covered under Medicare, but there has been legislation introduced that would authorize coverage of this class when used for treatment in obese individuals or individuals with related comorbidities. That's been introduced in the past. We haven't seen it currently. There's also some chatter around would the Inflation Reduction Act include this class of drugs within the portion of drugs that will be able to have direct negotiation for Medicare pricing to perhaps contain costs. I think this is definitely in the category of we'll have to wait and see what develops, but this class has just continued to pick up steam throughout the course of this year. And it's really clear that it could have a major impact, not only on the treatment paradigm for how we manage obesity and weight loss, but on the financial stability of the healthcare industry at large. As always, we know the only constant in the healthcare industry is change. So I can't wait to hear what we're talking about next month. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.